Good morning. Good morning, ARPC. Good morning. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Sun Kun, for leading us in service. I'm very thankful to have this privilege to preach uh, Romans 9 with you. And the best way to follow today's uh, talk is to turn your Bibles to Romans 9. I'll be using the International Children's Bible Version. Allow me to pray as I begin. Let's pray. Father, you are the creator of the heavens and the earth. You have made us in your image. You are faithful to your promises and fair in your ways. Thank you for your daily mercies and kindness to us. We may have a lot of questions after reading your word, but help us to eventually trust in who you are and your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children say, Amen. So children love to ask questions. Am I right? My son Joshua is one of them. He's in the picture in the middle. And during his P6 sleepover, just last weekend, they are given this golden opportunity to ask the guru, Auntie Ying, <laughs> any questions they have in their Bible. So let's hear some of his questions from Romans 9 as well. Today, to see if we know his, uh, the answers to it. Hi everyone, I'm Joshua. After reading the letter of Romans, I realized that chapter 9 to 11 belongs to this series called The Defense of the Gospel, where Apostle Paul tackles the most important questions asked during his day. So, Pastor Daniel, today I will ask you a few questions to test your defense as well. Sure, Joshua. Do you know, firstly, that Apostle Paul, he was writing from Corinth, a city of Greece, um, during that day to this group of believers in Rome. Even though he has not visited Rome, one of the reasons he's writing to them is because he hopes to build up their Christian understanding of God. And the good news of Jesus has just spread all the way from Jerusalem you know, at the corner of my slide, Jerusalem is right at the corner where the box is. You know, Paul is writing from number one, and he's writing to number two, which is in Rome. And the people in that city need to hear and believe in Jesus, even though they have not seen Jesus at all. So there were also some Jews in Rome. And Jews are the descendants of Abraham. The Bible calls sometimes Jews they use this word Israel to represent a nation set apart by God. So anyone who is not a Jew, like you and me, we are called Gentiles. Yes. So Paul is concerned about God's unbelief of who Jesus is. In verse 1, Paul says he speaks the truth in Christ. And Paul is trying to use the Old Testament books here from the Bible to teach us, to teach them, the Jews, more about Jesus. To help everyone see that Jesus is God's only plan. Plan A. There's no such thing as plan B. 
So in verses 2 and 3, Paul also addressed them, all the Jews, as my people. He expressed his deep and sincere sorrow for the Jews who failed to believe in the good news of Jesus. So with all this background understanding, now Joshua, you can ask your first question. Why is Israel the children of the promise? So Paul gave a very long answer to your short question. He gave eight reasons to it. Eight reasons, starting from verse 4. Israel is special because they are God's chosen children. Two, reason number two. Israel reflects the glory of God to all nations. So remember in, in the book of Exodus, God led His people. By day, a pillar of cloud. By night, a pillar of fire. And God is always in their midst, even as they set camp. So three, God also made agreement between Himself and the people. Number four, God gave them the law of Moses, teaching them how to obey in their day-to-day -day living. Number five, God taught them the right way of worship, that worship is not on the outside, but in your heart. God, number six, God also gave them a promise. In Exodus 66, where God said, I will rescue you from slavery in Egypt. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Seven, Israel comes from the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God specifically, specially chose each one of them. Finally, Israel is the earthly family of Jesus. Every step of the way, you realize here is planned and made possible by God through Christ. It is a gift from God that Israel is the children of the promise. But look at Israel. After God has done so much for them, only some believed and accepted the gift of Jesus. God promised to bless Israel. Has God's promise failed? That is a very good observation, Joshua. Now you all know, is it easy to be a children's church teacher? No. That is why this weekend they are away on a retreat and I'm here preaching. So at the first look, it, is, it seems that God's promise has failed. For God promised to bless Israel with so many descendants like the dust on the earth. But Acts 13 verse 33 tells us that God fulfills His promise by raising up Jesus from Abraham's descendants and Israel's kings from the line of David. God calls them sons of God. Why? Because they show this close bond between a human king and a divine God. So with Jesus as the chosen king from the line of David, verse 8 tells us that Abraham's true children are those who become God's children because of the promise made, God made to Abraham. So Paul is teaching us that even amongst the people of Abraham, only those who believe in the promise of God is his true children. And God has chosen Jacob from Isaac's descendants 
So Paul here uses this Bible narrative, a story of Jacob and Esau, these two brothers, to explain what Oh, I lost my track. (laughs) To explain what he meant by the older serving the younger, which is not normal, right? Let's watch this video. God's story, Jacob and Esau. So part of God's story is about twin brothers, and it begins like this. Once, there were twins named Jacob and Esau, and they didn't get along. They actually started fighting before they were born. Then during birth, Esau came out first, but Jacob was holding on to his heel. That's not normal. And they even look different. The Bible says Esau's body was covered in so much red hair, it was almost like he had clothes on. Jacob's skin was smooth. Well, they got even more different as they grew up. Esau hunted animals and spent time outside. Their dad, Isaac, was a big meat eater, so Esau was his favorite. Jacob, on the other hand, was a quiet guy who liked to stay indoors. Their mom, Rebecca, liked Jacob the best. The Bible doesn't talk much about Jacob and Esau as kids, but we do know Esau was lucky to be the oldest because he had what's called a birthright. That meant Esau would be in charge of their family, including all their money, land, and stuff. Jacob would probably have to work for his brother Esau, and their dad Isaac would give Esau a blessing, which means Isaac would ask God to take care of his oldest son Esau in an extra special way. Well, you probably think Esau was pretty excited about this, but he wasn't. In fact, one day he gave it up. He'd just returned from a hunting trip. Since he was out killing animals all day, he didn't have time to eat. He came home starving. Jacob was making stew, so Esau said, Quick, give me some of that stew. I'm very hungry. Now, Jacob was a little sneaky, so he didn't just share the stew with his hungry brother, which would have been nice. Instead, he said, First, sell me your birthright. And guess what? Esau said yes. It's a little like paying a million dollars for a bowl of mushy soup. We don't know why Esau did that. But the Bible says he didn't care about the birthright. But later, when Isaac was really old and about to die, he wanted to ask God to take special care of his firstborn Esau. So he told Esau to go hunting and make him some tasty food, maybe for the last time. Now, Esau wanted the birthright, so he left right away to hunt. Meanwhile, Rebekah had heard Isaac and Esau talking, and remember, Jacob was her favorite. She wanted him to get the blessing, so she did something really sneaky. She told Jacob, I will prepare tasty food for your father. You take it to your father to eat. Then he'll give you his blessing before he dies. See, Isaac was blind. She was telling Jacob to pretend he was Esau. But there was a slight problem with her plan. First off, Esau was hairy. So if Isaac touched Jacob's smooth skin, he would know the truth. The Bible says Esau had a certain smell too, which might be a polite way of saying he stunk. I mean, imagine how smelly a guy would be if he was always sweating and getting dead animal blood stuck on his clothes and matted in his hairy skin. And this was before deodorant. So even though Isaac was blind, he might smell Jacob or touch his smooth arm and know the truth. Well, Rebecca was sneaky like Jacob. She told Jacob to put sheepskin on his arms and wear some of Esau's smelly clothes. Now Isaac would never know. And even though Isaac wondered why the voice sounded like Jacob, guess what? The trick worked. Jacob got the blessing. Now Esau would have to work for him. As you might imagine, Esau was furious. In fact, Rebekah had to help Jacob run away so Esau wouldn't kill him. What's really crazy about this story is Jacob messed up big time. 
but he really did get God's blessing. Esau even forgave him later. We don't know why God let this happen, but the truth is we all mess up sometimes, and God still wants us to be part of his story. And that's the story of Jacob and Esau. So God here has chosen Jacob to be part of his story, not just for him, but for Israel to be formed from the sons of Jacob. And God give, didn't give any reason for this. But God revealed his choices even before Jacob and Esau is born. Or before they have done anything good or bad. How is it fair? By doing this, is God fair? I know that it's not easy to accept when God has chosen and shown kindness. But Paul argues here, he says, in no way God is unfair. And he points us to Exodus 33, verse 19, that says, I will show kindness. Kindness to anyone, I will show kindness. I will show mercy to anyone I want to show mercy. So Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short the glory of God. We deserve punishment for our sins, but God has chosen us to extend His kindness to us. So Jacob might not have done the right thing, am I right? To get the birthright, but God has chosen Jacob. Even before the boys do anything good or bad, even before they are born. So let's read this together. Children, are you ready? Verse 14 to 16. Ready? One, two. So what should we say about this? Is God unfair? In no way. God said to Moses, I will show kindness to anyone I want to show kindness. I will show mercy to anyone I want to show mercy. So God will choose the one he decides to show mercy to and his choice does not depend on what people want or try to do. So Paul goes back to the story of Exodus when the king of Egypt refused to let the people go. And these are God's words given to Moses to remind the king of Egypt of God's power and control over all things. God has power to raise kings overnight and to end their reign. God has full control. Pastor Daniel, if God is in control, why did he blame us for our sins? Joshua, you and I are both created by God. We have no right to question our Creator God. God uses this imagery of potter and clay to remind us of God's good purpose that we can rely on. Let's watch this video. Analysis of any metaphor, it is of the primary importance that the correct roles be assigned. 
In the metaphor of the potter and the clay, there are two distinct roles, the potter and the clay. Though it may seem obvious, it is my assertion that God is to play the role of the potter and that we humans are to play the role of the clay in relation to him. To verify this assertion, it is necessary to look to scripture. And where better to start than in the beginning? In Genesis 2-7 it reads, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So, just as God created man from the dust of the ground, so too can a potter create clay by mixing dirt and water. Next, we look to the book of Jeremiah. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. There is no question that the potter can mold the clay however he chooses to, and it is clear in this passage that God is stating that we are the clay. But, for good measure, let's look at one more verse. In Isaiah 64, 8, Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Here, it is not God speaking, but Isaiah professing that God is the potter and we are the clay. Which brings us to our first question. Who do we act like more, the potter or the clay? More often than not, do we assume control and try to mold God to suit our needs, or are we surrendered to the will of God and simply listening for our instructions? So the story of the potter and the clay teaches us how do we surrender to the will of God and to listen for His instructions. Through the whole process, God is molding us and shaping our faith in Him. Verse 21 tells us that God can make anything He wants to make. He can use the same clay for different things. And He can make one thing for special use and another for daily use. The question is, are we willing to be shaped by God? In verses 22 to 23, God then reveals who He is. God's action is in harmony with His nature. God has shown mercy by waiting patiently for our repentance. He has shown us kindness, which is taken for granted. By ignoring God's kindness, we have prepared ourselves for destruction because of our own evil doing. Therefore, it is not possible for God to reject anyone who wants to believe in Him. Jesus is sent by God to save us all from our sins. How can we then point our finger at God for controlling and blaming us for our sins? Surely not. In verses 25 to 29, Paul then refers to another story the book of Hosea, and two more quotes from Isaiah. To summarize his key points, let me help you to summarize that. In these three points, it is God who first calls and chooses His people. It is God who first shows His love. It is God who shows mercy to whom He wants to show mercy. Has God's promise failed? If God did not wipe out all the people 
like the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, then God has not failed. God is just showing us kindness. Do you see it? Thanks, Pastor Daniel. I finally understand it now. We cannot be made right with God by doing good works or by following the law of Moses, but by faith in God. Even though it is God that chooses, we cannot deny human responsibility to anyone who trusts in God will not be disappointed. Everyone say, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joshua. God has firstly called the Jews and the Gentiles later to respond to him. Since now we all know Romans 9, do we remember that the good things we enjoy as Christians now were once things we hope for. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, salvation is made available to all who believe in Him. This passage should cause us to increase in our gratefulness, being thankful for God's kindness to all of us. On the other hand, how do we respond to the unbelief of a loved one? My mother-in-law came to faith many years back and she yearns for my father-in-law to be safe. She keeps telling him who Jesus is. And at one point, my father-in-law was so upset. When my mother-in-law brought home a plug that says, Jesus is the head of this household. My father-in-law cursed Jesus. He proclaimed that I am the one who pays the bills in this house. I'm the head of the household. My mother-in-law started praying for him. Praying for him to repent. Praying for him to be saved. She cared and loved him, even when he's critically ill. Even in the hospital, my mother-in-law never gave up on him. She keeps telling him, I translate, Dear old man, you must believe in Jesus. By the mercy of God, a pastor came to visit and explained the good news to him. That day itself, he finally accepted Jesus. God showed kindness to my father-in-law. He came to faith just 12 hours before he passed on. Praise God. We must never stop yearning for the salvation of our loved ones. We must not give up trying. God shows mercy to whom He wants to show mercy. Anyone who trusts in God will not be disappointed. Let's pray. Father, we trust in your unfailing love for us. We trust in who you are. It is you who first called us and chosen us to be your children. It is you, Lord, who first showed us what love is through your Son, Jesus. Now, help us to show Jesus to the world. Help us to speak of your goodness boldly. Help us to be grateful for all that you have given us. 
In Jesus' name, Amen.